0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And you know what time it is. It's showtime, showtime. Also time for a classic episode of Tech Stuff. And this episode, originally published on May 21st, 2012, Chris and I phoned it in. We walked into this podcast room. We just sat down and we went on autopilot. But that's okay because the episode was Tech Stuff Goes on Autopilot. So get ready to learn all about autopilot. Take it away past Jonathan and Chris. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about um well something that Chris and I do all the time, which is to go on autopilot like we do in this podcast hmm? oh yeah, every darn week <laughs> um no, we wanted to talk about the autopilot systems in airplanes because you know you, you often hear that phrase about switching on autopilot, but what does that actually mean what's it, what does that entail how did we come up with this idea, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because it it kind of has a sort of almost magical air about it for anyone who is uninformed about the way autopilot works, right? Like there's a big red button that says autopilot. You press it and presto, everything's cool. You said air. Yes. Um, There's going to be a lot of that. Let's get that out of the way right now.
1: Yep. Yep. And uh, I'm a fan of... um... Patrick Smith on Salon, he has a column called Ask the Pilot, because he's a pilot, and people ask him questions about things, like what happens if one of the engines falls off a jet, you know, that kind of thing. And he... <laughs> they the answer, bad things. Yes, but, you know, not as bad as if all the engines fall off the jet. Right, no, but I'm thinking about, it depends on if you are under the jet at the time. That's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and, and one of the things that uh, he says a lot of people... He's mentioned this several times. People seem to think that the pilot can get in the cockpit, close the door, push the red button, and the plane will fly itself to the next destination. And he gets out and, (laughs) thank you for flying with us. It doesn't quite work. Then he collects the big fat check, for all for pushing a button. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. It, It can
0: do a lot. But yep. it can't do that. It can. It can even land a plane, depending on the the conditions and the uh, systems aboard. But let's uh, let's let's take it back a step first. Let's talk about sort of the development of autopilot. So way back in 1908, there was a fellow by the name of Elmer Sperry, mm-hmm. and he was developing something called a gyrocompass. And, uh, it was, it was using a gyro compass and other s- sorts of, uh, gyroscopes that, uh, in combination could work with the systems on an, on a plane to allow a, uh, uh automated steering. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it did was it just kept the steering steady. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, you know, this idea of just, uh, uh, you're on a steady heading and it keeps you on that. Um, and it, uh, the first test flight of a, Uh, A plane with um, this sort of autopilot system was performed by Lawrence Burst Sperry, Mm -hmm. son of Elmer Sperry, which was, uh, again, right around 1908. And they used four gyroscopes to help stabilize the plane. So the gyroscopes, depending on their uh, attitude, mm-hmm. and I don't mean whether they were friendly or not—forget yeah. you—you can fly the darn plane yourself. I mean their position relative to the rest of the environment right. would dictate how the system would work. And so uh, that was uh, the—they developed the first true autopilot system, which was later used by a fellow named Wiley Post, which is just a great name. Yeah,
1: um, you know, he's a, he, his name is one of those names that you hear every once in a while. Yeah, um, he was famous back in, in in his time, which was the earliest uh, part of the 20th century, now, 1930s. Yeah, yeah, uh, famous aviator, and uh, his name sort of just comes up every once in a while. As I'm, I, I know that name? Why is he famous? Well, as it turns out, he uh, well he flew cross country. Yeah, uh, and made headlines with that, and certainly. Then,
0: and then he flew around the world. And the first time he flew around the world, he flew around the world with a navigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a long time for him to get all the way around the world. Um, and But the navigator was there to... Not just navigate, but also make sure that that Wiley remained Wiley. Yes. And that he was uh, alert and thank you, alert and uh, capable of maneuvering the plane and not just, you know, anytime anyone has to do a monotonous task for a really long time, there is a danger that we will go on autopilot, as Mm -hmm. in we'll stop paying attention and then disaster can can strike. So uh, he had a navigator. Well, then he decided that he wanted to try and do a solo flight around the world world Mm -hmm. and this is 1933 and so uh in order to do a solo flight and still be able to rest and you know because these these flights were taking hours and hours and hours at a time just uh, you know from one spot to the next before refueling and uh Uh, you know, it's, it's a long time to stay awake. So he would have had this, uh, this system developed by the Sperry's that would help keep the, the plane on course so that he could rest Mm -hmm. because otherwise, uh, he would probably have gone crazy. You know, you go without (laughs) sleep long enough and you start to go bonkers. So, uh that was a very important development. And it's today autopilot is part of something a little more sophisticated. Back then it was, it was a fairly simple system, Mm -hmm. but now it's part of the automatic flight control system, Mm -hmm. which in turn is one component of an airplane's avionics system. Yeah. And before we go too far into this, I do want to say we have an article on howstuffworks.com about how autopilot works. Mm -hmm. And it's an excellent article. I do recommend you go check that out. If you want more information, we're going to give you the, the rundown on it. It. But uh, the, it's, it'll help a lot if you want to look further into it. There's a great article on our site. Yep, yeah, it's by uh, William Harris. As a
1: matter of fact, uh, who used to be one of my writers as well. So.
0: Yeah. So an avionics system. In case you're wondering what that is, you know, we just mentioned that the the automatic flight control system is part of avionics. Avionics refers to electronic systems aboard a plane that are really designed to help control the plane and the key elements of flight Mm -hmm. and uh, the other systems that are involved include things like navigation collision avoidance uh, communication uh, and weather systems so these are the very important systems that allow pilots to to do their job Mm -hmm. you know and, and get as much information and have as much control over the aircraft as possible and so uh yeah they're really the original purpose of the autopilot was to help pilots be able to take little rest breaks, especially when doing something that's truly tedious, like cruising at high altitude. Mm-hmm. When you're, well, you're you have reached your your cruising you know, altitude, like thirty thousand feet, and that's it. You mm-hmm. you're you're stuck there for however long the flight is going to be before you have to start taking her down, and um, that can get you know if you if you got several flights a day, that can get pretty tiresome. Yeah. So the autopilot helps the the pilot kind of offload that so that the pilot is in uh, the best shape to bring the the plane in for landing or deal with any other you know, unusual circumstances or even things like turbulence. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if it's a smooth
1: flight, uh, it shouldn't be uh, much trouble for the autopilot to uh, keep the plane going where it's going. Right. Um, and, and it does that uh, through a, a series of, well, course corrections, really. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, uh, it's... Basically, uh, the idea behind the autopilot itself is pretty simple. Um, You have several control surfaces, and we talked about this in the past. You have uh, uh, control surfaces on the wings and on the uh, vertical stabilizer, uh, known to those of us in the, uh, uh, you know, just talking about planes sort of world the tail yeah. um and uh you know you it basically controls uh, it can sense what's going on it says, oh well, we're descending a little bit we need to ch- adjust the uh, the control surfaces to change the airflow and get the plane back up you know these ten feet that we've dropped right um. So it's it all it does is it's basically and I'm I'm grossly oversimplifying it but um, on purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, basically all it's doing is saying, oh, we need to we need to fix this, we need to adjust this and get it back to where we were, um, and then it just makes these uh, very subtle course corrections to get the keep the plane more or less where it is when the pilot hits the big red button. Right. I, I don't right. even know if the big red button exists. No. But it, yep. It's slang for what we're talking about.
0: Right. Here. So so. To get a little more in depth with this, uh, you you have a closed system, yes, right? and that closed system includes sensors that are on these control surfaces as well as other sensors that are part of the plane's uh, systems that provide information to a computer. Mm-hmm. Now the computer takes this information, compares it to whatever command the pilot has given. For example, mm-hmm. the pilot might say, "I want to maintain this altitude, this speed, and this course." Right, And then what happens is the computer takes the information gathered by the sensors, compares it to the command given by the pilot, and then makes any adjustments necessary in order to maintain that, that command. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that might mean uh, sending information to a, uh, a servo. That will adjust one of those those control surfaces Mm -hmm. to make a a bit of a change, either to turn the plane a little bit or raise, go up in altitude or lower in altitude, whatever is necessary in order to maintain. Uh, the command that was set by the pilot. So those, those three basic control surfaces that Chris was alluding to include elevators, mm-hmm. which that's on the tail of the plane and that helps control the plane's pitch. So if you imagine a plane that, uh, let's say that you're balancing a plane, uh, along its length. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it can tilt forward or backward. The pitch is, that's what the pitch does. It allows the plane to either go up or down, uh, in, uh, angled mm-hmm. in, th- in that way. Then you have the rudder, which controls the Yaw. I love that word. That, that that's what twists the plane, and then you have the ailerons, which are on the rear edge of the wings. That's the, what rolls the plane to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are your three basic control surfaces that can do these these changes to the the plane's uh, attitude in mm-hmm. flight. Right. And depending upon the autopilot system you have, you may be able to uh, have one or two, or all three of those under automatic control. Mm-hmm. So, and it's pretty easy to understand. A one-axis, one-axis rather, control system will control just one of those three surfaces, and it's usually the ailerons. Mm-hmm. If it's just going to be one, it's usually that. Uh, Two-axis controls usually controls the elevators and the ailerons, and then three-axis controls controls all three, clearly. You wouldn't, you know, don't have like a fourth one pop in and then... Hey, what's this do? Yeah. Forget you rudder. You never get controlled. Uh, no, that's not the case. So the depending on that system, the autopilot is in charge of uh, making sure that uh, the any adjustments get sent out to those different control surfaces to maintain the the command that the pilot has made. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sensors include other things like gyroscopes, which help determine the the actual attitude of the the plane, how it's you know whether it's tilted in one side or the other, or the pitch is wrong. Uh, That's what the gyroscopes can help with. And then you have accelerometers, so obviously determining what the speed is of the plane, uh, whether it's undergoing any sort of acceleration or uh, deceleration. Uh, Altimeters, which tell you how high up the plane is. That seems... Relatively important, and then a compass, which tells you which way you're facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the more over the last several years, uh, the the uh, autopilot system is also dependent upon GPS receivers, mm-hmm. which can let the autopilot system know where the plane is geographically, and thus make any sort of uh, uh, course corrections in order to even plot a course. To a destination mm-hmm. so uh, there's a little bit more that can be offloaded onto a computer system now we're still not to the point where we're going to have robot pilots you know the, these these autopilot systems are meant to help um, uh, help pilots rest and 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 uh, plan for other parts of the flight but they're not replacements
1: yeah <clears throat> so make sure if you're a pilot that you uh, watch what you eat before you uh right. you know take over the controls. Oh
0: yes, I had the lasagna. <laughs> uh, this uh, is Bob. <laughs> I'm mixing those up because it's airplane and airplane two. Well okay. Yeah.
1: But yeah, you can you can tell um you know from the very first uh when Wiley Post was using the uh the early Sperry system, um which was based solely on on gyroscopes and compass readings, you know, that, that was a very uh simple version of what would later become these systems, and now that we have all these different um, uh, different types of sensors and different types of input, the the autopilot system can be a lot more accurate than than those of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has become a very, very useful tool for uh, an aircraft pilot to uh, to rely on.
0: Yeah, and also uh, I should point out that these systems with the servo mechanisms and everything that help control the surfaces, they are independent of the manual systems that uh, are used by the pilot when the pilot controls the plane. Whenever he or she is controlling the plane, uh, it's an independent series of, of uh, servos and every and other uh, elements that keep these surfaces moving. And the reason for that is because autopilot systems, like any other system, can fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the case of failure, you want to have the option for manual control so that the pilot can take over and everything will be fine. Right. And so in order to do that, you have to make sure there's some redundant systems there because if it's a servo mechanism failure, which is frequently the case Mm -hmm. in an autopilot failure, then you want to make sure you still have a way of controlling that surface area or else you're really stuck. Mm -hmm. You've got some serious problems if, if a system like that fails. Over Macho Grande? I'll never be over Macho Grande. We've got more to say about autopilot in just a moment. But first, let's take a break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The other thing that's important to remember is that if an autopilot system is engaged, meaning that it's working, not that it has found the right person and they're going to build a family together. It has the right avionics system. <laughs> Settle down and have little
1: avionics We're being systems.
0: a little extra goofy this morning for reasons I can't understand, <laughs> other than the fact that we were not able to come in in our normal studio time because stuff to blow your mind was taking up the space in front of us. So blame them. Uh, anyway, yes, when the autopilot system is, is active... You want to be able to turn that off before you engage manual systems, because <laughs> otherwise, what's happening is you're fighting yeah. the autopilot. Because the changes you make, what's going to happen is the sensors in the autopilot system pick up the fact that you've changed the the or or that conditions have changed. So let's say that you're trying to bring the plane down to a different uh, altitude, and you start to do this, and autopilot is already engaged, the sensors in autopilot start to say. Wait a minute! Now we're now we're going lower, and he told me. Yeah, he told me at the beginning of this flight that we wanted to maintain thirty-four thousand feet. So, gosh darn it, I'm going to change the the altitude of this here plane. Uh, so, disengaging the autopilot is very important before taking over manually. Now, I'm sure there are many systems out there that have sort of an automatic disengaging. Uh, uh, process so that if a pilot were to take the controls, the autopilot would would turn off so that you wouldn't have a pilot and autopilot fight over where a plane is going. Yeah, Uh, but there have been in the past a few um, accidents and incidents that were uh, linked in one way or another to autopilot failures. Uh, A lot of experts that I have looked at Uh, The writings, rather, not the actual experts. I mean, I'll look at them, too, but they get a little self-conscious after a while. Uh, But according to their research, it seems to me like autopilot failure is not generally a cause for for accidents. It tends to be something else that's happened. There have been a few cases where uh, autopilot was disengaged and then perhaps turned back on again, Uh, at a time when uh, a plane was experiencing trouble and that didn't help matters, but it doesn't look like autopilot failures often result in catastrophe, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mainly because we have these (coughs) well-trained pilots that are in the cockpits that can take over when that happens. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, And
1: uh, I think it's time to bring up some negative feedback. Ah, the negative feedback loop. Yeah, no, a feedback loop is basically a uh and then this doesn't necessarily have to be a um an electronic thing. No I was reading an article in Wired about this. Uh if you've ever seen those um uh those speed indicator things on the side of the road. Yeah. That say, hey, uh you know, speed limit's thirty five and you're doing forty two, pal, slow it down and it flashes at you. Um that's creating a feedback loop. Uh they use that example specifically. So basically, um that article was talking about how they're actually fairly effective um, at getting people to slow down because they're providing you feedback on what you're doing. And uh, that sort of creates this sense of, well, I should probably behave myself and stay close to the speed limit in this area.
0: Yeah, um, I and- don't want to get pulled over or, yeah. if, or you know, some people are thinking, I don't want to get caught. Mm-hmm. And other people are thinking, I am going too fast for this neighborhood. Exactly. I think I think most of the people I encounter are of the first part, where they look around, like, I don't see any cops. Yeah. <laughs> I just well, screwed up the levels there, too, I'm sure. Probably. I'm sorry.
1: Um, but uh, but in this case, uh, the autopilot system uses a negative feedback loop. Yes. Um, so let's say you're flying at 34,000 feet. Okay. And, uh, you know, I would imagine, I, when I used 10 feet before, uh, that was a, I, I'm. Thinking that's probably a fairly subtle change for a, a plane in flight. So I would imagine. let's say it goes down ten feet, um, maybe as a result of a little turbulence or something, and uh, uh, it sets off a uh, you know a signal in the processors because the sensors have detected that there is something. So that's negative feedback, and it says, "Oh, it's, something's changed. It's not supposed to be this way. Fix it." And so it's just constantly going through this loop. Is it okay? Yes. All right. Never mind. Yeah, Is don't okay? do anything. Yes. Never mind.
0: Yeah. You know. Is it okay? We're tilting. All right. Fix that. Yes. Yeah. It's um, uh, If you want to know another negative feedback loop mechanism that you're probably pretty familiar with, we did an entire episode about it, uh, the really? thermostat. Ah, uh, yes. Because let's say you set your thermostat for, uh, we'll say 70 degrees because I like it right around there Okay. in my house. Um, so 70 degrees. so when the temperatures at 70, everything's copacetic, nothing gets turned on as soon as it starts hitting 71, then you have the system click into place. the air conditioning <laughs> the air conditioning system itself starts to uh, starts to uh, fire up, which ironically makes it cooler and uh, then it starts blowing cool air through the through the house and once the air, has become cool enough around the thermostat and the internal thermometer detects it then it switches back off again and that's a negative feedback loop system I'm just glad you've upgraded from that swamp cooler I'm just glad I upgraded from opening up all the windows and shouting at people yeah your neighbors are happy with that they too. are I uh, yeah I yell get off my lawn but I live in an apartment so it's a little <laughs> awkward <laughs> um,
1: yeah now uh yeah now I'll uh, Sorry. I just said, yeah, now, twice. Three times then. Okay, so uh, negative feedback loops use a receptor, a control center, and an effector. Basically, the receptor is what's figuring out what's going on. It sends information to the control center. Uh, and then the effector is the thing that makes the change. So
0: yeah, in it's the system, simple. in system of the autopilot, we're talking about the sensors are mm-hmm. the receptor. Yep, the, and there are many different kinds in this case. Yes, the control the control center is the computer mm-hmm. that takes in all this information, and the effector are the servo mechanisms that the computer sends commands to that then make adjustments to those control surfaces so that the plane does whatever it was the pilot wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these systems are incredibly sophisticated now to the point where, like I mentioned before, they can actually land a plane and sometimes are used to land a plane, not not generally speaking. Most of the time it's a, a human pilot that's landing a plane. Yeah, But in cases where visibility is really limited, uh, there are times where the, uh, they will – they will incorporate an autopilot system in order to bring the plane in and land it uh, when there's a fear that maybe human failure could play a role in a safe landing mm-hmm. so it 's not common but it can happen yeah they they
1: prefer not to do that yeah um, it's usually better to uh, that that 's not a time when you want uh, the system to fail it, so... yeah, it's it 's
0: usually a pretty a pretty dramatic turn of events for that to happen because normally uh, pilots don't Bring planes into uh, to uh, to an airport where there's already that kind of limited visibility. If they if they can help it, they'll usually divert to another. You know, really, air traffic control will tell them to divert divert to another airport uh, that they can get to safely, uh, rather than go into an airport where there's going to be conditions that will severely limit visibility. Now, that's not always. Uh, possible. I mean, in commercial flights, that tends to happen quite a bit because, you know, the the passenger safety is so important. Mm -hmm. But with something like a military flight, it may not be a possibility. So um, different cases depending on the whole scenario there. But it is possible and it has happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know we haven't really diverted from our pathway, but that's what a good autopilot does. Remains nice, steady and true. And for that, we're going to continue on our journey and make a little stop to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: now um, I don't know did you want to talk about uh, other types of autopilot at all uh, what you mean like cruise control well I was talking specifically about cars because that's been that's been coming up a lot uh, lately so things have like- been talking about how uh, in three years cars will be driving themselves
0: well they're already doing that if you work for Google. Yes, they're also rear ending people. um people are backing up into them. You know it. They see like there's no one in that car. reverse boom, Google owes me money <laughs> That's hey. all' That's allegedly yeah i I got <laughs> I use the word allegedly, it's all right, right? That's the way that works. <laughs> send
1: hate mail too <laughs> um actually, uh well, of course, Google is testing systems like that um. But, uh, you know, then it it is a little more difficult in some ways for a car. Well, yes. For a plane, you know, it's going that way. And there's probably nothing in front of it directly.
0: Um, Generally speaking, air traffic is less severe less than, than, than ground traffic. Yeah. You, I mean, once you get toward an airport, then yes, air traffic starts to pick up. But by then, usually pilots have disengaged the autopilot system anyway. But, um, but, but with yeah.
1: roads, you have things like um, weather conditions taken into account uh, slippery roads. You've got uh, twists and turns. You've got squirrels' construction. Um, don't have a whole lot of construction at 34,000 feet. No, people who are not paying attention
0: while they're driving in front of you. People who are applying makeup, shaving, So um, yeah. shaving while applying makeup, while reading. Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah, they're, they're working on systems to do similar kinds of things with cars, but it's a much more challenging, well, at least I think so, much more challenging proposition to put that kind of a system in a car because there are so many more factors that uh, a, an autopilot- would have to take into account. Of course, now there are. Uh, it's pretty common to find at least uh, the higher end models with
0: sensors that will help you park. Um, they have you know those auto parking cars, right? The whole collision detection stuff, so that yep. uh, it can tell when it's close to another object and thus uh, uh, adjust the controls so that you avoid colliding with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which use
1: uh, you know some radar and
0: cameras, infrared systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these
1: things. Uh, lane changing. Uh, I like that system too. Yep. Where, um you know, it's able to to detect where the lanes are and kind of keep you in place.
0: Make sure that, you know, you're not going to smash into someone who's in your blind spot. Yes. Which is very important. Especially um,
1: if there are a lot of bicyclists around.
0: There's, you know, there's, these systems are, are emerging for, ve- for cars. I was mm-hmm. say vehicles, but really an airplane is one too. Uh, but they're emer- it's kind of an emerging technology for cars. And one thing that will really help this technology propagate...
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is when we actually see it in lots and lots and lots of different cars, because then you can have a system where the cars are just one element within a system. Now, see, in the plane, we're talking about a closed system that's all contained within the plane itself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: With something like cars and traffic, you're talking about a system that could, in theory, be a meta system, a system of systems. Each car would have its own system including things like sensors for collision detection and lane detection, all that sort of stuff, as well as GPS receivers so that the car knows where it is and is navigating to the appropriate destination. Right. Uh, And maybe even things like uh, other kinds of radio receivers so that the system has information about traffic reports and construction delays and things like that so it can reroute around those. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you have a system of systems where you could have an entire Uh, um, infrastructure that can detect where these cars are based upon their own electronic signatures, if you've built in stuff that's directly in the roads or part of the whole infrastructure. Uh, And then the system of systems could help maintain uh, a good flow of traffic by helping these these individual cars route to the appropriate destination in the most efficient way possible. Mm -hmm. So then... Uh, the closed system it doesn't isn't truly closed because it becomes part of a, a larger system. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty. I mean, it's incredibly complex, and we're not there yet, not by a long shot. Because we w- we would need not just lots and lots and lots of cars that have these these sensors and these uh, mechanisms incorporated into the design of the car itself. We would have to go and build out the infrastructure in the cities, which is an entirely different prospect. I mean, that's that might be slightly expensive, and it might take. More than a decade to complete. I mean, yeah. based upon how long certain streets in Atlanta have had metal plates on top of potholes, I'm going to guess that incorporating such a sophisticated system that would need to be really pervasive throughout the entire infrastructure would probably take about 2,000 years.
1: <laughs> well, it would take, um, you know, depending on the size uh, of the area covered, like a, a municipality could probably do it. A lot more quickly than a, a nation covering all of its uh you know major highways and, things. Right. Um, and then you start talking about uh, surface streets and back roads and things like that it, it could take a very very long time, plus there will be people who are loath to give up their older cars that don't have these systems you know or just you your,
0: even even if there's a new system that has manual versus automatic, I think sure. there are a lot of people who would be um who would be have reservations about switching to an automated driver system? Either they yeah. would feel powerless in that situation or they just they just genuinely enjoy driving. Yeah. Cause I've heard there are such people. There are such people that I don't understand them. They come from a different planet than I do. That's all right. But, uh, we, but yeah, we don't, we don't, uh, I don't judge. take it out on you. I don't judge. You know, they can be crazy. <laughs> I don't, that's fine. Nice. I know lots of crazy people. I work with most of them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or most of the people I work with are crazy. They weren't that way when I started. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, these autopilot systems are finding their ways into uh, other different vehicles, so Mm -hmm. cars, boats as well, and uh, other sorts of vehicles. And I expect that we'll continue to see that. I mean, this whole idea of an automated system that helps you get to where you're going uh, it's just another example of us trying to create technologies that make our lives easier, uh, more convenient, and uh, and uh, uh, paving the way for our robot overlords to easily conquer us when they choose to rise up against us. Awesome. As in the documentary Terminator. And that concludes this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I always find autopilot to be a fascinating subject. It's one of those things where if you trace the development of autopilot, you can kind of look at a a continuing line that goes up to autonomous vehicles today. Uh, And it's really fascinating to me that this technology is as old as it is. If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, please send those to me. You can do so at the email address techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You'll find links to all the old episodes. You'll find links to our presence on social media. You'll find a link to our online store. And every purchase you make there goes to help the show. So we greatly appreciate it. We're going to get some new designs in there. So check that out. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. That's C-O-N-C-U-R
1: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah!